Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of So You Think You Can Manage. We're here for the first week after the All-Star break. Phillies come out and do Phillies things, you know, up and down, up and down week so far uh, since the break. But, I mean, basically typical Phillies things. First, we got the whole crew here here to start this show. Shane, why don't we start off with you? How's it going? Uh, you know, in typical Phillies fashion, you know, they get swept by a bad team and, and they take a series against a division rival who's a really good team. So, you know, no surprises here. Not at all. All right. Biscuit? I'm fine, man. You know, to, to get swept by that Cubs team, and and like Shane said, just tip, well, like you both said, just typical Philly shit. To go out and get swept by that Cubs team, then to take two or three of the Braves, just makes no sense. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, absolutely. And let's start with that as we get into here is the first series out of the break. It's like, okay, we got the Chicago Cubs. We can take advantage of it. Worst case is you just win the series. You expect to have your top pitchers in that series and everything. But no, instead, we get swept. And as that series went on, it was like, okay, you dropped the first game. And it was like, all right, it's just game one. You know, you'll bounce back, take the next two. You lose that Saturday game. And I was just like, okay, you'll, you'll salvage the series, win the final game, maybe take some momentum into Atlanta. But nope, you get swept. You lose those games. That included a phenomenal start by a um, – Wheeler again, they they blew that chance. Gibson struggled out of the gate, so and that's a guy I'm gonna we want to dive into later too in typical Phillies fashion is Kyle Gibson. But like we said, Phillies get swept to the Cubs, take two of three against Atlanta, so they finish uh, today with a 51-47 overall record, uh, third place in the NL East, eight and a half games back of the Mets, seven games back of the Braves, and they currently have the final wild card spot depending on how the St. Louis game goes against Toronto this evening, determining how we will fare going into tomorrow. But we'll start with you, Biscuit. What are your first thoughts and impressions here out of the break through these first two series? Obviously, again, the first series is not the way you want, but you bounce back and take that second series. So what are your overall thoughts so far? Well, you know, as great as taking the series is against the Braves, you know, the Phillies are going – if their their path forward to the postseason is beating the bad teams. It's the same as it was last year. The majority of the games they have left in the regular season are against teams under 500. Um, you you got to capitalize in those games. So, sure, you know, take a two or three of the break, oh, oh, excuse me, over the Braves is good over the last couple games. But um, dropping those three to the just absolutely abysmal Cubs team um, – where, where you're going up against teams that aren't good or a team that isn't good, I should say, and you just look overmatched, that, that's not good. That's not a good thing at all. And I think the cracks are showing, you know, the Phillies haven't been scoring a lot of runs as of late, um, you know, with, with Bryce and Gene still down. Um, Reese Hoskins has started to struggle again. Kyle Schwarber has been abysmal as of late. You know, you, you know, the ongoing stuff with Castellanos is still happening. Um, so I'm, I'm concerned, you know, to, to reiterate what I what I said on the last show, we're at a position where the cracks are really starting to show and the Phillies don't have enough time to really wait for guys to start coming back before they need to uh, really get some reinforcements or for something to just click. Um, because right now it doesn't look good. Yeah, you mentioned it. It wasn't even like you went in and, you know, you dropped a bunch of one run games or anything. You went out, you lose the opener 15 to 2. You lose game two, six to two, and then you lose game three, four to well, three. But you went down four nothing in that game before 
to climb back into it late. I think they scored a run in the eighth to make it a one-run game. So, again, obviously not the way you want, but to, no, I agree with you in a lot of standpoints. Hoskins, yes, he, he, I, I was more he struggled in the field a lot since the break too. Not necessarily mm-hmm, sure. just been his offense too. He's and I know we've always known about those defensive problems, but that's where I think honestly he struggled more out of the break than than his bat is the field. But Shane, anything you want to add there for your first impressions here out of the break? Um, I think more so than anything, you know, it's for me as a fan, um, you know, I was, I swung, you know, all the way to biscuit side, you know, I was like, this team is just not good enough. This is not going to be the year, anything different. I was feeling, uh, you know, it was just, it was mirage. Like this, this was something that was just, you know, I was trying to let the wish be the father of the thought. Right. And, uh, you know, and then they come out and they, they do what they do against Atlanta and they take a series against a, a significantly better team than, than the Cubs. Um, and it's things like that, that, that kind of, you know, ground you a bit. Um, you know, it's, this is the type of thing that didn't swing that, you know, pendulum all the way back to, you know, to your side, Andrew, where, where I'm sitting here thinking like this team's just built different this year. This is good things are going to happen. Um, but it's just, for me, these two series were, were, as a fan, just every reason to not overreact to a single series or a single game. Um, you know, this, this shit is going to happen. Um, and you just, you just, you have to respond and I have to give them credit. Um, you know, they, they did so, you know, they went out and they responded. Now they have to keep responding. Um, and, and we'll see how it all works out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you, you touched on a couple of good points there too. And, just kind of the balance, and what stinks too is, you know, you, you always hear, and I know we've talked about it before, is we want the fans to buy in, want the fans to buy in, you want to see Citizens Bank get full again, and you start to finally see it, and then you drop that series to the Cubs, and you could definitely tell, and I know it's midweek, but you could definitely tell it, it affected some of the seats there in Atlanta, or at, at home against Atlanta, so I, I think that all plays a factor, and hopefully you're able to continue to, I don't know, find ways to battle and, and get back in it, but I think that's been kind of the crazy part is when you are ready to, it seems like it's going to be that final straw to kind of give up. It's, it's somebody different and it's a new young guy. I mean, Bryson Stott again, you know, he's the five RBI game in that first game against Atlanta getting that win. So I think that's kind of what's crazy to me here is it's something new, whether it's good or bad, it's somebody new and something new, whether it's swinging, which way it's, it's never consistent with anybody on this team, good or bad, which is just funny to me uh, as we go here. But a couple spots I want to touch on, and Biscuit, you mentioned Segura and stuff. You, you, we might be seeing some reinforcements here come soon. Gene Segura is, has started his rehab assignment. Hopefully, he's able to get back here shortly if things go right there. He's a month of heads, month ahead of schedule there, so hopefully that goes well. And then Bryce Harper got some. I mean, I don't want to call it bad news or good news. I think it was just it's just going along as progress. He went and saw the surgeon. Uh, it hasn't got much progress there, so they had to leave the pins in there. But he's going to be reevaluated uh, later in the week. So nothing new there, nothing bad, nothing or good. Well, I guess technically bad because it's not ahead of schedule. But first, we'll start with you, Shane, in terms of Gene Segura. What kind of difference can he make for this team? And what are you kind of doing with the lineup when he comes back? Are you leaving Stott in or Gregorius? Are you just platooning all of them? What do you think that the uh, plan is for Gene? I think the biggest thing with Gene coming back is shoring up the defense there. You know, to me, I, I don't know that DD needs to see another at bat the rest of the year. Um, and it's a shame. You know, I, I like DD. Uh, you know, I, I think he's, I do think he's a passionate player. He's a, you know, he's a history player at this point. Um, 
you know, but it's clear that the game is just kind of passed him by right now. And I don't know if he's dealing with something or what, um, but he's just not the same guy that he was year one in Philadelphia even. Um, and, you know, to me, it, it's you, I think the, the most difficult thing is, and, and I think, you know, I, I think uh, on Philly's talk with Seidman and Salisbury, I think that they were mentioning this as well. It's with stop playing such a strong second base. Do you leave him at second? Do you put Gene at short again? Um, to me, I, I kind of said, you know, that that's not the direction I would go with Gene having a history of lower body injuries and nagging ones at that. You know, I, I think second base is is the right play for him there. Um, and and Stott, ultimately, your long-term shortstop, uh, you just want to get him over there. And I think that he plays a fine shortstop right now as well. Um, you know, but I think the biggest thing, you know, it, granted his bat is certainly going to be a lift as, as a, you know, a, a really strong bat-to-ball guy. You know, he's, he's going to make a lot of contact. Um, you know, and that's something that right now we, you know, I mean, well, we need everything offensively. Um, you know, but... Uh, but I think, you know, it's it's a big lift to, to have him back. Um, and I'm just I'm curious with him being as ahead of schedule as he is, uh, how legitimate, you know, he really is. You know, did does he need more time, uh, you know, in rehab starts? Does he you know, how is he feeling physically? Is this the type of thing where, you know, like the rest of Philadelphia sports, you know, a guy comes back, you know, a little ahead of schedule or something and you think it's a blessing and all of a sudden, you know. They're back on the shelf for another six weeks. Makes it worse. Um, that's that's what I exactly. feel. Exactly. So I do, you know, I have some reservations there, um, you know, but uh, look, if he can come back and if he can contribute like Gene has, um, I, I think it's it's a monumental lift for this team. Um, and, and just getting DD out of the lineup is going to be big. And that's also a test for Thompson uh, to keep him out of the lineup. Um, I'm, I'm okay with it over the first couple of weeks as you ease Segura back in. Um, you know, but ultimately for me, I mean, come, you know, come mid, mid August, late August, like I don't need to see Didi Gregorius again. That's what I was going to ask. Is it mid August? Is it early <laughs> September? Like how long is that stage there for Gene to kind of work back in it? Um, but Biscuit going to you, I don't know if you agree with that, but where in terms of, I just lost my question. Um, in terms of Gene, where are you putting him? in the lineup like are you kind of putting him back at the top how are you going to shuffle that order and are you leaving him there at second well i guess it's really tough to say right now because this you know lineup looked a, a lot different when he was last year and keep in mind i think a good chunk of when he was with the team earlier in the season he was batting like i think almost in rbi spots in the fifth and sixth spots in the lineup um a little uncharacteristic for gene segura um, but, you know, if you certainly, you know, we, we've seen Gene at times go through those streaks where he has a lot of pop to his bat. So it, it, I guess if you're getting that type of Segura, that works. But I think naturally his best bat is in the two hole. Um, so I do think he finds his way up there. You move Hoskins, in, you know, back down to a, well, he's currently, I think, batting for um or has been the last couple of games. So you can do that and get that flexibility back even further. And to Shane's point, yeah, Didi's been really bad. Um, th- this is how baseball it's works. All right defensively. Like, He's I'm been okay fine defensively, yeah. but, 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 you know, to, to, to what I said back when Didi was batting 300, this is not sustainable and it's going to crater. And it certainly has. Um, who knows? I know ball. Um, <laughs> but, 
But what I'm getting at is I, I think he's a very likely likely DFA or, or candidate who's released. Um, if he doesn't, especially if he's not happy with putting on the bench. And I agree with you again, Shane, that's going to be a test for Thompson. He's got to do it for the good of the team. He's got to do it. And if you want to win and you're, you're set to win right now, you got to put your best team out there. And DD is not, um, not, not really one of your top guys right now. And for what it's worth, I, I do think Thompson will do it. You know, he has shown a, a, I do too. a yeah, he's shown a, a yeah. reward based system here. Um, you know, namely in the bullpen, um, you know, but he, he seems to have a good feel for things, um, you know, and I, you know, outside of the fact that, you know, we've seen more Herrera than I ever needed to see, uh, oh God, he's you know, one. yeah, you know, he, he does seem to, to make, uh, make, I, I would say the right moves more often than not at, at this point. No, I agree with that. Um, I, I think they're just stuck and they don't, they don't trust Matt Ver, uh, Verling every day. And unfortunately, that's where you're going with, and I don't even know. Is I haven't seen is Mickey Moniak back in AAA? Like I haven't even heard. Oh yeah, he's been back. Well, I know he's fluctuating so. up and down. It's terrible. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was fluctuating. It seemed like he was getting called up and down, left and right, and stuff. And I don't seen, know how he has options. I feel like right? he's getting that's, called up every other week. That's that's what I was thinking too, and that's what oh. uh, I don't know if you guys saw this, and I always forget it's a rule. But that was one of the reasons why they were forced to use Falter this past weekend instead of Sanchez was because they've called Sanchez up so much that it was like within, uh, I think it was like a 12-day limit where they sent him down within 12 days, so they weren't able to call him up for that start. So they were forced forced to use Falter in that case. So they've just been, they've been calling guys up left and right like that. It's gonna it's gonna continue to affect the team as it did then. But moving on, let's jump into the offense. There's multiple different things here. You got players kind of. On a good hot streak, and then you obviously got cold streak. Uh, we'll, we'll start here with the the most talked about probably Nick Castellanos. Um, and I know Biscuit, you, you mentioned him a lot in our group chat, so we can start with you. Um, I, I don't know who all saw this tweet, how much you want to take it into account. I, I know we were talking about it earlier uh, this morning, but uh, Jack Fritz put out that um, it doesn't explain everything, but Nick Castellanos got hit in the wrist on May 5th. Before that, he was hitting 307 with a 374 on base and an 851 OPS. His numbers since then are uh, he's hitting 226 with a 262 on base percentage and a 580 OPS. Biscuit first, how much do you think you can take that into account uh, versus how much he's actually struggled or if at all? Um, I'm going to say slim to none. You know, I, I think if he was Dealing with something a little bit more significant, uh, I think, especially at this point, understanding that he was struggling so greatly because of that, I think he'd have to make the choice to step back. Um, you know, he he's just looked really lost. He's pressing on pitches. I just don't think he has, you know, the, the same confidence going up to the plate as he used to. Um but I, I just don't think that's due to injury. I just think that's because he's, you know, going through it right now. And I think to what Shane has said in the past, this is the guy who the Phillies have went over the luxury tax for. They've given a, a sizable contract. He knows what the expectations are right now for the city and what our playoff aspirations are. Um so I just think that, that that there's a lot of mental things going on right now. You know, maybe the juice balls, I think, would be more of an attribute to it, to his struggles. Um, 
just because he doesn't know how to swing it anymore. But if it's an injury, like, like I just, I, I just don't think it's the case. I think he would have been sidelined already. Yeah, no, and I hear it. I, I think it can be a mix. Like, I, I definitely don't think it's everything, but I think it has affected him. We've seen it in the past. I think what was it, 2019? I think it was. Gene Segura had that foot injury, and he was hitting over 300 for most of the year. And then he tried to battle through the foot injury. No one knew about it. He got surgery right after the season, and his numbers dropped significantly. So I think some of these guys. Just they don't want to get out of the lineup, and some of them aren't going to do that. And I think you have to do what's best for the team, especially when you're not a platoon-type player. It's like he shouldn't be worried about, oh, I'm going to get hurt here and then lose my spot. Like He's a guy, you get healthy, he'll be back and, and put him right back in the lineup. So I, I think it's played a factor. I don't think it's the number like number one thing and everything on why he's struggling, but I think it has shown a little bit. But I don't know, Shane, what, what are your, what's your take on that? I think when players, and especially players in Philadelphia, when they have a history of success in in a particular area of whatever their sport is and whatever their skill sets are, when they come here to Philadelphia after having that history of success and it doesn't present itself here under new contract, we all just start scaling through the memory bank looking for a definitive reason as to why they just suddenly forgot how to do the thing that earned them the contract that we gave them to do. I don't know that the wrist, you know, being hit in that game does or doesn't do anything. I don't know if getting hit in the wrist that day, and I'm pretty sure that that was the the worst Phillies game I've ever seen in my life with the Mets, uh, where they scored, what, nine runs or seven runs in, in the ninth inning, whatever the hell it was, to, yes. to come back and win. He took himself out of that game, and, and maybe mentally, it's like, shit, if, you know, if I stay in, you know, at that time, you're one of the hotter hitters on the team. Maybe we don't lose this this game. He, he has at least one more at bat that night. Maybe that has a factor in it. Maybe it is the thing that Biscuit, you know, you reiterated uh, that we've all kind of talked about at this point over the last several podcasts where they went over the luxury tax for me. It could be a myriad of any things, or we can just take a look at it for what it is. And this is a down year. Sometimes things don't make sense. Baseball is a game that notoriously does not make a lot of fucking sense. You could flip over the back of any baseball card of any superstar player, and you're going to take a look at one of their years and be like, what the fuck happened? Who knows? It might just be that year for him. I don't have concerns long-term for his, you know, for this contract. Um, You know, I, I, I think this is just one of those things. This isn't going to make sense. And we're just going to have to see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you mentioned baseball being weird, and obviously they're in a lot better playoff position than we are. But, I mean, you just take – look at what happened this week. Obviously the Phillies get swept to Chicago, but take a look at early this week. You had the Dodgers drop the first two games of the series against Washington, and then you had uh, the A's take two against Houston going into today. So, I mean, it's just a weird sport, and it's just a, yeah. something like that what will happen. And I think that's what – again, I'm with you. I'm not worried about him long term. I think it is just a down year for him, and I think he'll be able to bounce back next year, especially assuming you can get a healthy Harper. He can go back, just focus on the DH rule. I think that does play a factor in it, is he didn't want to play the outfield. I think he was looking to do that um, in that sense. But, no, we'll see how it goes. But I think let's get into it. I mean, when it, it seems like we're talking about a different Philly media issue almost every week, if not every other week. And this week brings you Nick Castellanos versus Jim Salisbury. And I know we talked about it uh, in our group chat, but Shane, we'll start with you on this one, too, or on this one. Whose side are you on? So for those who might have not heard about it, after it was Saturday's game, 
It was a close game. He came out in a big situation. And I think the first time he struck out, the next time he ground into a double play. And he started hearing boos from the fans. And Jim asked him about the about the boos. And the way was his exact wording was, did you hear the boos? And Castellanos responded with, no, I lost my hearing during the game. And they kind of got into a little bit of a heated exchange. And then it turned into, I don't know if you guys saw this, there was some media people going after each other. Because the video was apparently yep. edited, so that's Matt Gobb and uh, Jamie Apodi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, Shane, we'll start with you. What, what's your whole take on all this? Um, I think uh, I think that Jim probably would have rephrased that question. Um, you know, if he had to do it over. Um, you know, it was it was very clearly a setup question. Um, and it was one that uh, a struggling player someone who, who kind of thrives on his personality, um, you know, he was just not ready to take the bait and, and go down that road. Um, I think that each party could have handled themselves significantly better. Um, you know, I think that, you know, that Salisbury, you know, could have phrased that better or could have skipped right to the actual question as opposed to, you know, making him acknowledge that he's hearing how much this, the city is down on him right now. Um, and, you know, Castellanos, you know, it's the type of thing where, you know, you're we're never going to know what it's like to, you know, to, to make the kind of money he's making, uh, you know, and to, to have the job that he, he has, you know, every day of the year, you know. But you could sit there and, and you can kind of you take a look at other Phillies, you know, over the years and, and how they've responded to very similar lines of questioning. And, you know, to me, you know, like this is what like this is like what media training is for, like for, for guys, it's because you know, you're going to get these tough questions or not even tough. It's just, you know, you're going to have to answer to some things that are not easy for you to sit there and talk about like Harper two years ago. I'd boo me too. You know, it's like, you know what, they have a right to do this. Um, you know, there, there was a way that Harper went about his response several years ago. Um, and it, it endears you to the fans, boom, acknowledging what he did. Uh, or what he said on the field, um, you know, and, and just being a stand-up person in that moment and kind of taking it on the chin, you know, I just don't know that that's ever going to be Nick Castellanos's personality. I think he's a naturally combative human being, um, and I, I'm sure that he's just not used to being in a position to having to answer that type of a question, um, you know. So it's it's frustrating. It's it's bad light uh, all around. It's you know it makes Castellanos look bad. It makes Jim Salisbury look bad. It, it makes the you know, the editing of the videos uh, in the media room as a whole look bad. Um, and that kind of brings me to something that, that you know, has bothered me for years upon years, you know, I, and this goes beyond baseball, but but it's so much. I, I believe that, you know, journalism, whether it be in sports journalism or, or traditional news journalism, like you, you just you have such an integral role to the way that information hits your viewers and you have a, an obligation and a moral duty to 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 give that to them, you know, as factually accurate and unbiased as, as you possibly can. And when you start seeing chopped videos, you know, like that makes everyone in that media room to me, you know, it's harder for me to grasp that, that trust factor of that room. That sucks. Um, Cause you don't know the, the real flow of questioning. You don't know if something else was said, um, you know, that, that really got Castellanos beyond heated. 
um, you know, or Jim beyond heated because he just started to attack, you know, back. And that's not something you typically see from Jim Salisbury. Um, and I just think that there's such a duty to, to do that, the right thing in journalism um, and reporting. And I think it's it just all too often and it's, it's a miss in today's society. Um, and it's, it's super disappointing because um, you don't want to be talking about it either way. You don't want to be talking about one of the best uh, who's ever done it in Jim Salisbury. You don't want to talk about your, you know, highly priced DH right fielder uh, for the next five years, because Lord knows Philadelphia, we have the ability to run these people out of town. Um, so it, it's, it's disappointing all around. And, you know, I, it, hopefully it just, you know, it kind of goes away, um, you know, quietly. We'll see if it does, but. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think you used a couple of good words. I think personality for, for Nick is a big one there. And I think that's what you saw is he's going to he's not a guy that's going to help the, the media member out. He's not going to reword the question like Harper did and, and come up with a good answer. He's going to answer the question the way it was asked. So he was obviously kind of smart about it, where I, I think if Jim does rephrase it in how, like what is like what do, what do you think? Is it is it justified or something like that? He'd answer it more more truthfully or whatever. But no, he hears did you hear the booze? And obviously if you're getting booed by twenty thousand plus people, you're you're gonna you're gonna hear the booze. So I think that's where Castellanos was coming from. And no, but I, I think you hit it on the nose too with the trust factor. It's like what can you trust from who at this point, uh, in that stuff? And then obviously again you hear you see Two media member, or you see a media member you don't think's involved in the situation, but again, we haven't seen the full video. So did Matt say something in there too, as Biscuit mentioned? He's the other Matt, one in there. So Matt wasn't there that night. I wasn't. I thought I re- I thought he tweeted in one of the responses to Jamie about the being he was there because I thought that was the whole thing. Is he? No, I had- think so. So him and him and uh, so I think um, I forget who he does the podcast with, but he does a podcast, and I'm pretty sure they talked about the. Uh, talked about what went down and i think he said on the podcast he wasn't there if i'm not mistaken so he's really got no reason to chime in then well well and that and that's the point you know what this is everyone's wrong in this situation starting with castellanos and jim like sure like i don't think it was you know like like it's obviously and and people have pointed it out i'm not saying anything groundbreaking here but it's like a leading question you ask it to kind of get you know follow up and and get us you know get, get you know some 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 following line question go questioning going on. Um, so that's what it was. Sure. It could have been phrased better. Like, obviously it, it's, you know, in, in hindsight, a silly question, but it, it's for lead in purposes. And then um, I, I think Castellanos could have handled it better too. I think he kind of, you know, you know, you saying it once, you, you get your point across. When you say it again and start ridiculing him in front of his peers, I could see why Jim got upset. Now, sure, he shouldn't have reacted the way he did, but Castellanos, I don't think was, you know, you know, I think he was being a little bit of a dick about it. And then when you go to Gelb and um and Jamie Apodi, Jamie Apodi shouldn't have tweeted out an, an edited video because there was about a minute or two of content that was taken out of it. So that right there is not really, I I would say ethical. Um, And Matt Matt Gelb, to your point, um, sure. What, what Jamie Apodi did was wrong, but like, who are you to like, kind of be on this moral high ground to like, you know, go at her tooth and nail like you have been, which is also kind of unprofessional because you shouldn't go after people like that. That's just, you know, foolish. And I feel like, and I'm not, I'm not saying he deliberately did this, 
But it's just like you're putting yourself into the situation for what? Like you said your piece. You're not wrong, but take it easy. Well, yeah, last thing on, I thought one thing I was trying to read some of the replies and, and you mentioned it for what and I was like, and he, what made me think of it was on one of Matt's responses to her was you're just doing it for clicks or whatever. I'm like, isn't that the main reason why you're arguing with her? It's so your name can get clicks on Twitter too. Right. But yeah, like, that's probably the only reason why he's like, arguing. So. No, it's, and it's just, you're right. It's a sad situation to see. It, it's not fun for, for, you know, us as fans, no one likes to see reporters going at it. Um, you know, no one wants to boo players as much fun as the art of booing is. It's certainly not fun to boo when they're supposed to be star, you know, to, to Shane's point, your star right fielder DH. Um, so you, you hope to move past it. Baseball is a long season. I'm sure, you know, it won't be the main narrative the rest of the way, but, um, Castellanos struggles will be if they continue. And I think, you know, after last week, I've taken back, uh, taken a minute to reflect and I'm not really as worried long-term about the contact, uh, contract, but, um, something's got to give here. And, you know, especially if it's not the wrist or, or a wrist or another pressing issue, he's got to figure it out. And there's just no signs of life from him. Yeah, absolutely. My, my final Nick, Nick thing here is. I don't know if you guys heard the stat or saw the stat, because this is just mind-boggling to me for, for all of his struggles this season. I don't know if you know this, but Nick Castellanos overall in the MLB is 12th in most multi-hit games this season, and he's second on the Phillies. That <laughs> When I heard that, that was just crazy to me. Like, for all the struggles, like, that's actually a pretty amazing stat there. And then, I mean, this one isn't surprising with how hot he's been hitting. And that's who we'll talk about next is Alec Boehm. He's eighth in the whole league with multi-hit games this year. But, no, yeah, Castellanos being up there, which is so <laughs> shocking to me. Well, that just shows you how often he's a a, a, a hole on other nights. Yeah. He gets all his nights and or all his hits in one night, takes the rest of the week I, off. I know, I know, exactly. But mo- moving on here, we – Let's dive into the the players that have really come out hot after the break, and and I'll start with Alec Bohm, and then we'll get into Bryce and Stott as the two young guys could be on that that side of the infield here for future, uh, and Stott at short and Bohm at third, and we'll talk about Alec Bohm and what he's been able to do in this stretch since the uh, All Star break, if not even a little before the All Star break there, but he's got his average up to 293 on the season. We've always talked about the power's obviously not there. We thought. But since the All-Star break, he's hitting 519, and then in his last 15 games, he's hitting 442 with uh, 12 home, or 12 RBIs, two home runs. Biscuit, we'll start with you on this one. I mean, how great is this to see, especially with kind of how the season started? But uh, I mean, with what he's able to do, and I know in our group chat, you said you wanted to put him up there in the two spot in the, in the lineup. So I'm going to be completely honest with you, Andrew. I missed the beginning of your question because I was reading a tweet from MLB leaks at MLB underscore leaks, which I'm sure is not a credible source <laughs> that said Red Sox and Phillies conversation regarding Xander Bogarts have really gained a lot of traction in the last 24 hours. Red Sox with what prospects? Right, right, yeah, right. right. Uh, I'm just sitting here like, I wonder if this is uh, credible. 
You yeah, follow I, them, Andrew, so maybe. I, I do follow them because I think they're funny. Like I don't buy too much stock into it, but I think it's I think it's funny to follow. It's like uh, I don't know if you guys follow. I think it's, his name's like Vin, and he always tweets like NBA. Vin Fosh, hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and so many people fo- what fall for it. What a master so. of that. So I'm the dumbass <laughs> who is reading this. Like, oh, is this credible? Correct. <laughs> so no, yeah, I follow him just because I think it's really funny. Because like they've been all over about how the Cardinals are close to trading for Juan Soto and stuff, and they keep going back and forth and like, oh, they're on the, like their fifth trade package, countering it back and forth, and it's uh, now they're fun. They're funny to look at, and maybe hey, maybe they're legit. Maybe we'll find a trade that they break. It'll be pretty cool to see. How many people follow them? Do you still have it up? Um, <laughs> if you don't, it's a... let me see. Let me see. I lost it. No worries. But my, my question was, I, I know you mentioned putting Alec Bohm in the two spot possibly. Yeah, He's been the hottest, one of the hottest hitters out of the break. He's sent 519 since the All-Star break. And in his last 15 games, if you go back to a little before the break, he sent 442. In his last 30 games, he sent 365. I mean, how great is this to see, especially for a home, for a player growing in your system, kind of to finally, after that slow start to the season, really take off like this? Yeah, no, it's great. Um, he, he's getting a lot of big hits. He was a big factor in today's win against the Braves. Um, you know, I, I think what you're seeing from him now is just the kind of player he is. He's going to be a below-average fielder, um, but but he can, you know, hit for average. The power, maybe it'll come one day, maybe it won't, but he's certainly going to, you know, be able to get hits and be a sustainable slap hitter, at least at the big leagues. Um, so it's great, you know, hot streaks. The, when guys get hot, they can carry a team for, for a good period of time, and that's kind of what he's been doing right now. I don't think it would hurt moving him up in the lineup. I think he's certainly warranted, uh, warranted that. Um, but he's also doing his thing down there in the, you know, five, six, seven spots. I think he's maybe not five, but the six and seven spots. So maybe it doesn't hurt to leave him there, especially as you get Gene back. That's another candidate for that two hole. So, um, you know, I, uh, I um, think, you know, I trust Thompson and what he's doing with, with him right now. And as long as he stays hot, I'm not going to complain. Yeah, no, no, I agree with that. Um, but Shane, we'll, we'll turn to you for, Bryson Stott, I know you're a big Stott fan when he came up and down through the minors. So, again, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, and we they always we talked about before that the team calls him the Phillies day, daycare group with all the young guys. And Bryson's really starting to find his own. I know his average only sits at 195. But, again, I, I'm one that believes it's a mis, big mislead from how slow of a start he had. Since the All-Star break, he's in 292. He had five RBIs in that first Atlanta game. Kind of what has he meant to the team, too, turning his season around here, uh, especially at the start of the second half? This season, if nothing else, um, is so tremendously important for the stats of the world um, because it, it, it's, you know, we had that first year of Kingery, right? And it, mm-hmm. he was bad. He was like one of the worst, you know, one of the worst hitters in baseball. Um, you know, his fielding was meh, whatever. Um, and we all thought like, oh, you know what? We're going to give him the full year and he'll get this out of his system. He'll 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 have adjusted to major league. Yeah, uh, major league speed, major league talent, major league pitching, and you know he'll be better off for it. I don't think Scott Kingery's very good, and I also think he's just mentally just lost after the contract sign. Um, but for a guy like Stott, I think that that same thought process is super applicable. Um, you know, so 
you're right. Early on in the year, the guy hit like 140 for, you know, the first six, eight, ten weeks of the season. Um, but you can tell he's never been like, uh, like he just, he, you know, he never looks out of place, right? Um, I think sometimes he kind of sacrifices, um, you know, he, he, you saw it even on the home run swing, you know, he, he, he uh, goes away from the step. And he just kind of he he does what Bryce Harper does actually you know he widens as his stance goes with the no step and um you know and, and a lot of times you know the home runs obviously not the best example of this but um you know you sacrifice power to to make a little bit of contact um and I feel like he does that even right when he gets his first strike on him he he becomes a little bit less aggressive with that powerful swing um. You know, so I'm I'm excited to see as he gets more comfortable and more comfortable, um, what he can do. Um, you know, just you know, with the bat. I think defensively, we've we've seen he's he's certainly a plus player there. Um, to me, man, um, you know, I'm I'm a big proponent of of Stott leading off, uh, and Bohm hitting two, and you know, you you put you know Schwarber in either the three, four, or five there. Um, you know, you kind of fit the rest, you know, the recent JT and where you want. Um, but, uh, I, I think it's huge that, that he's, he's having the early start to post, uh, post break that he has. Well, I think a big thing, uh, difference when he was struggling from him and Moniac was he's at least battling at the plate. And I think that's one thing I've liked from him too, is he, while yeah, he much, he struggled at the beginning. He was still fighting off pitches and stuff and, and he, well, he strike out like, he had a, an at-bat last night. He went 0-4, for and I think he had two strikeouts. One of those at-bats, he fought off. I think he fouled off six or seven pitches. It was a 10-pitch at-bat. And, and that's the thing with him is he, he's up there fighting off. He knows how to look at pitches and like that. So, yeah, I, I'd be all for him batting leadoff, too, and, and trying him out there as well, especially with while Kyle Schwarber's struggling. So I think that would be a good fit for him there uh, and a potential spot. But – Moving into the final player, I really wanted to get into another guy that started uh, quick out of the break. Biscuit, let's start with you. I know you've talked about him a lot in our group chat uh, through his struggles. But that's JT Real Muto. And I get it. He, he struggled in the first half. But out of the break, he's hitting 375, two home runs, eight RBIs. And his last 15, last 15 games, he's hitting 353 with four home runs, 15 RBIs, and a 407 on base percentage. Is it is it time where we can actually say he's back and, and he's the, the catcher we thought? we'd get in the beginning of the year he's hot right now he's not back back is when you're at or above your career numbers in my opinion he's hot right now and that's great it's getting better he's getting back to being back but he's not back i you know there there have been better catchers of baseball this year you got to work a little harder to get the bcib title back in my opinion um Mm -hmm. but it's been great you know it's been good I'm, not, I'm certainly not going to complain when a player's good. And he's been putting up good numbers. I like the fact that he's been getting a little bit more rest here and there. I think it's been helping. Who would have thought? Um, <laughs> but um, it, it's huge. And you, you need another guy to step up, especially as the top of your lineup. Um, and Schwarber and Hoskins have started going really cold. You know, um, their numbers have dipped significantly over the last couple of weeks. So it's good to see that JTs are picking back up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think something with him, and you mentioned the rest a little bit, it benefits to have a backup like Garrett Stubbs, who's been playing well. 
Yeah. I mean, we we saw we saw I mean, when Andrew Knapp was here that one year when he couldn't hit for, hit anything. I mean, it's tough to give JT a break when you're, you're an automatic out like that. So you got to give credit to Stubbs there for, for the way he's been able to uh, really take off this year after that trade in the offseason. Uh, probably an underrated move if it continues to work out pretty well for us here. But let's move into the pitching here a little bit. And a guy I wanted to touch on and mention in the beginning kind of goes with this Phillies team and all the up and down movement we see. And that's that's a guy in uh, Kyle Gibson. I mean, it seems like every time you're ready to write him off, he finds a way to have a great game. I mean, you look at it uh, the start uh, out of the break or right before the break. He pitches that really good game or back-to-back good games, uh, one against the Marlins, one against the Cardinals, 13 innings, one run ball. And then he comes out of the break, gives up six runs to the Cubs in less than five innings. And then today he throws a gem against the Braves. He had one mistake pitch to Matt Olson there for the two two-run home run, but Shane, what, what's your take on Gibson? Like, especially down the stretch, and obviously as we get, we'll get into the, the trade deadline here, trying to add starting pitching, what can you take away from Gibson? Trade for anybody else. You know, th- this is – so as maddening as it is to see your entire team be as, as inconsistent uh, as they have proven to be for the last, you know, three, four, five years, um, we – you just – you. You can't afford to have a pitcher like him right now because you're right. There are moments where you're going to get a six, seven inning game out of him and he's going to pitch to the two and a two runs or less. And it's going to be huge, right? But for every one of those, he's got two or three clunkers where he comes out here and he doesn't pitch deep into a game and he gives up a ton of runs. And it's a game where you really needed to fucking win. You know, and to me, it's, it's, I don't want to play which guy are we getting tonight? We already have to do that with one of our best arms in Aaron Nola. You know, I don't want to have to do that in a four or five guy in Gibson. The sooner I never have to see him pitch in Philly's pinstripes again, I I know, baby biscuit. I think the same thing. The same thing. I could Say not Marco. have said it. Marco could not have Kyle said it. Gibson. I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, and and it's it's a shame. You know, he obviously had that. You know, basically a career year in Texas. Um, you know, before coming here and, and he just, he hasn't been great since, since coming over. Um, but yeah, man, I, I am, I'm just, I'm, I'm out. Like, I, I don't need to see him pitch again. You know, this is like a DD thing for me. Like just replace him now. Let's stop with this madness. Um, you know, so, so, so my counter, I'm sorry, go I thought you were done. Go no, go ahead. So go my ahead. counter, my counter to that is say you add, let's add another, say we add another arm at the deadline. Isn't that kind of what you would expect out of your fifth start? You're not going to get that consistency. So if you truly get a, a really good top, I'm not saying a number one, but like a top, a more top above average pitcher, and mm-hmm. you're able to throw Gibson back at the five, isn't that kind of what you expect? And he'd honestly be a little above average if you're talking five starter. I think for me, the only way that I'm I'm on board with Kyle Gibson still being here uh, is if we have, if we've made a move for two additional starters and uh-huh. he's like a swing guy, like a five, six guy, um, you know, someone that, that as biscuits mentioned before, if there's someone on the odd man out, if everybody comes back healthy, um, it would be Gibson going to the pen and he's just going to have to figure it out. And he's a long man. Um, you know, and I think that right now he is like, like in hockey, he would be like the seventh defenseman. It's like a guy we're in a pinch. You know what? We throw him out there. Let's see what happens. But to to roll him out there for 82 games a year, that's probably not great for your defense. Um, 
you know, and I think the same thing is applicable for him. I think he's a quad A guy. Um, you know, so for me, you know, I, I hear you. Um, you know, but I would I would much rather go in with Wheeler, Nola, trade acquisition, you know, whomever, Ranger, and if Eflin can get his knees straight. Like I would rather bet on Eflin getting his knee straight, which is a terrible bet because that guy's never been healthy <laughs> in his fucking life. Um, but I, I he's a better pitcher than Kyle Gibson. So if he can come back, that to me is the five I would want to go to bat with. Uh, you know, as opposed to having Kyle Gibson's name fucking anywhere in there. Um, you know, and I know that I'm a little harsh on on Gibson. Um, you know, and and you guys may disagree. Um, but to me, it's it's let's go out, let's acquire a starter, if not two, and let's just not see him here again. And that's what I actually was going to say. I was going to disagree. Is I'd, I'd rather roll the dice with a Gibson because you might get that good start, and then you have Eflin come out of the pen, especially with his injury history where, okay, well, maybe he can survive a, a one- or two-inning type night or, or, say, Gibson struggles through four. You can bring Eflin in for two or three innings, and, and that way you're kind of saving Eflin and not trying to – drag five or six innings out of him and possibly re-injuring that knee. So I'd rather roll the dice with Gibson. Just for I that. So I won't lie and say that I'm not intrigued by the thought of back end of the bullpen Eflin. Like he's a bigger body guy who pitches, you know, 92, 93. You know, most of the time he gets 95 sometimes. But he's working at a pace that he he's, again, I've said it before, I, I trust him to go nine innings before I trust anyone else in this rotation. Um you know, because it's just that that's the style of pitcher that he is. I do wonder if we said, hey, three, four nights a week, we need you, but we only need you for 15 to 30 pitches. What what would Eflin look like coming out at 97? You know, because I think he's got yeah. it in him. He's a big dude. Um, so I, w- I won't lie and say that, you know, I'm not intrigued by that thought. Um, I just I, you know, cost benefit analysis. I still sit there and think. I would rather a healthy Eflin in my four or five than Gibson anywhere near this team. Okay. Basically, let's get your vote on it. See, you're a decisive third vote here. Where are you going? Who are you rolling your dice with? Well, <laughs> I'm going to roll my, I don't know. Look, Kyle Gibson's a <laughs> bum. Like, he's not like a bum. He's like better than like, like Chase Anderson and Matt Moore. At least Matt Moore is a starting pitcher. Like, they were bums. He's like a step above them. Like he he's fine for a back end guy. Um, it's the the thing is is that if this team was better in its other defit, like if it had improvements in the areas where it also had deficiencies, a guy like Kyle Gibson wouldn't be that big of a deal. Because to your point, Andrew, he does turn out some really good starts. But to Shane's point, there's also those starts where he's horrifically bad and he is such a slow worker, which is so fucking irritating. I know a lot of people have talked about that, too. Um, I think right now, just given health concerns, I think the Phillies aren't going to trade for more than one starter. So I think Kyle Gibson is going to obviously continue to start games for the time being for this team, which is fine for right now. But if his struggles continue, he's got to get the boot when Eflin gets back. And if they get another healthy starting pitcher in here for, before the deadline, um, this it, it's just not it's not sustainable. If he continues to be mids, especially because he always has like one bad inning where he blows up, um, you know, it's going to be what it is for the meantime because they got no one else. But um, I, I don't want to see him back, especially next year. You know, I hope they move from uh, move on from him. 
No, 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 I hear that. Uh, moving, moving on to Aaron Nola. Well, I mean, we, we have to talk about it. I mean, eight straight starts. He had seven-plus innings, at least reached that seven inning. And I know we always talk about the, the big struggles when he gets to the big game. And you saw that again in the Atlanta game uh, on Tuesday. And, unfortunately, his seven-inning game stretch uh, came to an end, giving up five runs. Um, Biscuit, let's start with you. I mean, what, what do you take? Is that just who Nola is? You're not going to be able to rely on him on, the, on those big games? Obviously, that's going to be a big problem come September, or do you think it was just another bad, just one bad start, and he'll get back after it? I don't know. You know, Aaron Nola's been really good so far this year, so I want to give him the benefit of the doubt and say it's just a rough outing, and he'll come out and, you know, grab grab the bull by the horns the next time. Um, it, it is a little concerning, especially because a, a, a more, you know, crisp uh, pitching performance out of him might have yielded a victory. Um, but I think you just got to move past it. You know, hopefully he can do just that. You have a big second half that you got to get through. Um, so we need him to continue to be, be as durable as he's been. Um, hopefully that could just continue. You know, I think it can, I think he's shown the talent that, that he's, you know, shown this year that he can be a top pitcher in the league. So, um, you just got to move past it. No, I, I I agree with you. I, I think and that, I think that's the mindset he'll have, and we we've seen him bounce back well in the past. So hopefully that's what he has. But Shane, what do you think about that? Yeah, he's a frustrating pitcher to um to analyze. He's a frustrating pitcher to to get behind night in and night out. You know, he's I think that Aaron Nola is one of the most talented arms that we've seen uh, in a Phillies uniform over the last you know twenty or thirty years. Um, you know, I think when you stack up the arm talent there and the stuff, um, you know, he's a guy that you want to be able to say, you know, have the same amount of confidence, you know, of like a, a Cliff Lee or a, a Cole Hamels during that run. Certain, I'm not going to put him in a Roy Halladay-esque, um, you know, tier, um, you know, but like, it's a guy that you, you want to be able to trust going out there and feel good about, but you just don't know, um, you know, because for, for every, you know, eight, nine inning, get, you know, one run or less game in Boston that he pitches. It's he is a game where he goes out there and gives up six runs when you badly needed them to win a baseball game. Um, and there's just no rhyme or reason for, for some of this stuff. So, um, you know, I, I, I tend to still lean on like, I'm trying to think like to me, not this, not, not a perfect metaphor by any stretch, but you know, Andy Reid, you know, couldn't get over the hump of, um, you know, of NFC championship games or championship games in general. Couldn't win a Super Bowl as a head coach. Finally wins one. And, like, it just seems like he continues to get better and better as a head coach in year, like, 20 or whatever the hell he's in right now. Um, And I just wonder for Aaron Nola, like, the first time we're a late September start where we need him to win, you know, it's, think about three years ago, I think it was, where we turned to him every three days. Uh, for the final two weeks of the season, and if he would have won one of those starts, we probably make the place uh, the, or the uh, the postseason. And we he, he couldn't. Now again, you're going on three days three days rest. Like that's that's a hard thing to do, um, especially that late into the season. Um, you know, but I, I I do tend to think there's just so much talent there that like once he once he gets that clutch September win and like he gets that off his back and he's just I think he's going to be okay. 
Um, so for right now, I have no idea what I'm going to get from him any night out. Uh, he's been really good this year, like Biscuit mentioned. Um, and I think he's a really good pitcher overall. Um, you know, I just want him to have that key moment, that iconic defining moment uh, to kind of settle him down for games to come. Yeah, absolutely. And staying on the starting pitching topic, Dave Dombrowski had an interview uh, with the media here. I think it was Monday right before the Braves series. And he talked about what the Phillies are going to do at the deadline. And he said the most important thing they want to get is go after starting pitching. Um, Biscuit, you put in our group chat today what the uh, Phillies were thinking or are not thinking what they've said. And that, that tweet stated that the, the Phillies have said no on Abel, Painter, McGarry, uh, Hopi, and um, Ben Brown. I wasn't too familiar with Ben Brown. He's a 26 prospect in the farm system. So that one surprised me, but the other guys made sense to me. But in, in terms of starting pitching biscuit, do you agree oh, you with Dave him. on that? Do you agree with that on starting pitching? And is there anyone that right now the Phillies are saying no to that you'd be willing to part ways with? I mean, like, look, like, so, so basically it, I think it was, someone was saying that they were listening to an MLB network and, and Jason Stark was on and that Jason Stark had said right now, the Phillies were saying no on any deals that involved Ohapi, Ben Brown, um, and, and the three top starting pitching prospects in Griff McGarry, um, Mick Abel and Andrew Painter. Um, look, here's, here's my thing. I've been critical of this team and a lot this season, Rightfully no. so at times. Who, me? <laughs> Not who, who, the, the baseball wizard who predicted Knower last year. of ball. The knower of ball who predicted last year that Jacob deGrom wouldn't be in the Cy Young race and Zach Wheeler would be. Who predicted um uh, uh, that Girardi was a fucking fraud and no one believed me for months until everyone believed me. And then Andrew still wouldn't just believe me. Um, <laughs> that guy, yeah, who, me? No, um. The time is now to make a big, fucking bold trade. And I'm not saying you need to deplete the farm system, but you absolutely should be willing to move at least two of those guys. The time is now. Like, I understand they're young, controllable arms with upside, but if you only trade one of them and you still have two who can make a difference in the next couple of years, go for it. This team needs a big fucking move to bring some energy in here as we head throughout the rest of the second half. This isn't the time to make your, um, you know, you know, hardly moving the needle trades to just supplement a roster that needs one more big piece to actually be a true contender. And they're not going to do it. They're just not going to do it. You're going to see, you know, players that the Phillies could easily be in on if they're willing to just offer a little bit more, go to teams, go to other teams. And we're going to end up with the Jose Quitanas, the four or five starters that you're going to have to give up something you don't even want to give up for anyway. So why not just go throw in a big fish and, and, and get something done? Um, the team could use it. It would be exciting for the fan base. You get the fans back involved. And this is probably your best chance you've had over the last five years to be in the playoffs. Why not throw, why not throw a trip in to try to get there? Um, especially if, if it's a player that'll be under team control. So absolutely. They should be considering some of those guys, especially Logan Ohapi, unless you're not committed to JT. And you mentioned Jose Quintana. And I don't know if you guys feel the same way. I feel like he just has, 
Kyle Gibson written all over it. Like Kyle Gibson part two. Like right. it seems like he's just he's having a great year, but once he gets traded, he's gonna like come back down to earth. No matter what team he gets traded to. He's having but, a fine year. He's having a fine year for, you know, a guy who who's at best a number four, number five starter on a team that yeah. sucks. But still. <laughs> no, yeah. So is there a guy you want the team to go after in terms of starting pitcher? Is it a Luis Castillo? Is it a Frankie Montas from the A's? Is there a guy you'd be like, okay, I'm giving, dream, I'm, I'm giving up Abel for Castillo? Oh, no, no, no. You're, you're playing GM. I'm not saying the Phillies are going to oh, do absolutely. it. Oh, absolutely. Go get yourself a fucking stud under team control. Do it. Go get a well, surefire thing like no, Frankie Montas. I know, like, I know you want it. to. I'm asking which guy you, you would do it for. That's I'd do it for either of them. I'd give my nut for them. <laughs> like, get so, like, like, imagine, like, like, gee, well, we have Aaron Nolan, we have Zach Wheeler. Those are really good top starting pitchers. We really don't think we need to go out and get another big arm. Why the fuck not? It only helps your team. There's no rule that says you can only have two aces. Like, like for real. Do it. You know they're good. Do it. I, I just, is- I don't know. This is the GM that would do it, though. I mean, he's a guy that's not afraid I, I, to, see, to I, make I, a move. I don't, I don't think Dave Dombrowski. I think there's a lot of. I, I think there was. A, so, so Dave Dombrowski, known in the past for making those big trades, I knew. I, I felt like coming in, he wasn't going to be the same guy here in Philly because they're really not in the position to do things that drastic with this type of farm system. But I'm not even asking you to do it a lot. I'm just going to say go out and get someone big. One player, one impact player, and you could see a world of a difference here. Shane, what's your take? Are you going to start pitching as well? Are you going outfielder? Or, and, and what's the name you you look for? Uh, Frankie Montas is that dude. Um, you know, that, that to me. Here, so here's the thing. Um, you know, so much of of what you do is the perception of what that that means uh, you believe as the front office in this organization, right? So if you go out there and you get another fringe, you know, player, someone that just kind of fits in on, uh, on the, uh, you know, on the margins there, it tells the fan base that like, you're not totally in on this roster. So why should we be? So when I take a look at it as a fan, as someone who does this show, I take a look at the farm system. Admittedly, me, Mr. Baseball Romantic, Mr. I fall in love with every prospect I've ever seen wear a uniform in my fucking life, have grown to be somewhat of something, I don't know, a logic-based thinker now. Are any of those three arms, maybe McGriff, uh, just because he's a little bit older, but you know, are any of those three arms truly going to be part of like this core's rotation, right? Are they going to be pitching, you know, when Zach Wheeler's still ace-like, when Aaron Nola's still ace-like, when, you know, Bryce Harper and Castellanos and Schwarber are all still in their prime? Are they going to be ready and pitching, or are they the next wave? Because if they're the next wave or even the back end of that wave, fucking move them. Go out there and get anyone that can do it right fucking now. Someone with a little bit of control, team control meaning, get them in here, Find a way to keep them in Philadelphia. Right now, as romantic as I am over prospects, you could deplete the entire fucking system. I don't care. Go out there. Tell me that you believe in the roster that you've started to put together. Tell the fans that. I remember, so, you know, again, this is... 
this is going back into the into the the last set of glory days but i remember the hunter pence deal right i was sitting two rows behind the dugout the day that hunter pence gets tr- gets traded right um you know to to the phillies smartphones are like just making their rounds most people have fucking blackberries and they're sitting there with their weird buttons on their phones and they're squinting through you know blurry screens and you know twitter's not huge they're just waiting for these these alerts to come through and all of a sudden we start seeing guys in the phillies dugout get hugs we start looking for vance worley saying oh is he going to be a piece of this you know what's going on are we going to lose the vanimal and you know are we going to lose you know a, a, a dom brown like what what's going on right now and they go ahead and they make this thing and we all figure out that it's Hunter fucking Pence. And we're like, that was the sexy move that we all wanted to, to be made. And it told us that Ruben Amaro Jr. and that front office fucking believed in what this run could still be. Ultimately, that didn't work out. This isn't the best of examples for that reason. But that's what that move told us. And the buzz in Citizens Bank Park there, people were losing their mind, just ecstatic over oh my God, we're going to get that goofy ass, lanky, weird body (laughs) running nutcase in left field for the next however many years. And this is going to be sweet. Go get me that guy. Get me that guy that works out, but go get me that guy. Go get me Frankie Montaz, right? Go get me Castillo too if you want. I don't give a damn. But right now, you have Bryce Harper playing at MVP level, despite the fact that he's currently hurt, but playing at MVP level. Take some pressure off of Castellanos, go out there and get another bat and roll him back and say, here, just fucking figure it out, man. Figure it out in the seventh spot. I don't really care. Take some pre- Make us never have to watch Kyle Gibson again. Go do it. Go make a trade. Go make a sexy splash. Do not get something on the margins and try to be creative. You're not. Just fucking go do it. The the real quick the Pence wasn't part of the Roy Oswald Old Oswald trade right that was before Pence right that wasn't a package dude. year before yeah it was the yeah, year right, before that's, I think. but no no I agree or, with you. I I, yeah. I I agree with you I think it's funny when people and, and fans obsess over like one specific prospect and no matter if that prospect's in that deal it's like no, oh it's automatically care. a bad trade it's like you, you've seen in the past like the Phillies traded Kyle Drabeck that didn't work out Phillies traded Sixto Sanchez obviously there's still time. But he hasn't worked out yet. So, I mean, like, prospects... None of they ever worked out. That's what, Prospects are prospects One, until... Carlos Carrasco. That's it. Yeah. That's the and, only and person that... Well, is it the only person? With basically. Philly's luck, probably not. <laughs> but no, basically the only prospect yeah. over the last 20 years that we've, we've shipped out that became something. Do you know how ridiculous that is? The amount of trades that, that we've gone ahead and gone out there and, and shipped prospects out for... None of them fucking turn into anything. Come on. No, exactly. And one prospect send them all had, out. One prospect who we were never willing to give up on was Dominic Brown, and look how that turned out. Like think about think so about weird. Think about who else we could have traded for in those days to to make that run continue if we would have been willing to give up Brown with how highly he was uh, rated. But so no, and, and my my dream trade. I know it's not likely and it's unrealistic probably, but. It's called the Cubs. It's amazing for how bad that team is, but like if you could package an Ian Happ, I, I love Keegan Thompson. I, I know a lot sure. of people don't know that name. I, I've been talking with other people uh, off the podcast that had no idea who he was. Um, but I, I go get Ian Happ, Keegan Thompson, and David Robertson. Go get those three. I don't care what it takes to give up, but you, you solidify an outfield spot. You get another starter. 
and you get another back end of the bullpen guy who's been pitching phenomenal this year. Again, I know it's highly unlikely. It's a dream trade scenario, but that's what I'm thinking on the podcast right now. <laughs> but yeah, yeah no, dude, I, I look, I agree. You know, if, if you can go out there and, and I mean, and that to me, like the, you take a look at the Cubs, take a look at the Reds. Those are two teams that you make like a, like a, Hey, let's figure this out type of thing where I can tackle two or three holes because they have that amount of pieces. Um, and if you can do that, I think that's great. And I think dealing with one team and one GM, I, I think, is phenomenal. I think if you can knock down some of those things, more power to them. Uh, you know, go ahead and go do that. Um, you know, and and if that's the way they go, I'll be just as excited as if they, you know, put all their eggs in the Frankie Montas basket. Like, just bring me something that that tells me I'm allowed to be excited and that you believe in in the organization and the team that you're putting together. Because right now. I think it's a good team. I think it's a team that's better than what we've had in previous years. I think they're built a little different. I think they're run better with Thompson there than they ever would have been with that ass hat Girardi. But they're still missing something. And Biscuit's been staying that for a long time. Uh, and he's right. Like this is this team, even if they make the postseason, they're not winning the World Series. But are they that far away? I don't know. I, I think this I think that's what's unique about this this trade deadline this year is I feel like more than usual, a lot of these teams that are willing to part ways have a lot of double-up guys you can go get. Like, if you go to the A's, I don't know why I'm blank on their center fielder, but who's that that younger guy? Ramon, is it Ramon Lurie or something oh, like that? Yeah. Um, you can go get him and Montas. You go to the Reds, you can get a Brandon Drury and a Luis Castillo. I always, I always said my Cubs dream, dream scenario, but the Royals, they got, I mean, you can get a... a not the best name, but a Brad Keller and a um, Andrew Benatendi or something like that. So there's a lot of teams out there this year. You can get multiple pieces from one GM, as you just mentioned, Shane. So no, I, I think it's an exciting year. Obviously, the extra wild card spots going to be interesting too, because it's going to create a whole different dynamic on: Are you fighting for that third wild card spot? Is it going to take a team to give up an extra prospect to, to part on a guy like that just because you are so close to the wild card spot? So it, it's going to be a, an interesting trade deadline for sure. And uh, I know we, we were touching on it right before on when we think things might heat up a little bit. My prediction is not necessarily trades happening, but I think a lot of rumors are going to start to swirl on uh, Sunday afternoon once uh, those series finish up because those will be the final full series before the deadline. So it, it's going to be an exciting next couple of days, I think, or next week, I, I guess. I agree. But mo- moving on here, as we approach the final part of the show, kind of previewing ahead to what's ahead this week, this upcoming week, before uh, we get into next we- next Wednesday's show for uh, recapping those games. You get four against Pittsburgh starting on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Matchup, again, a team you hope you can take advantage of. Obviously, the Phillies have shown last year in the second half and early on this half, you can't take that team for granted. And then you get an off day Monday and then two against Atlanta. Obviously, you hope to split there. Well, you obviously hope to take both, but more realistic, you want to get a, a split out of there, assuming you can take advantage of maybe three against Pittsburgh. What are you guys looking forward to in this series? Obviously, outside winning games, but you obviously want to see Castellanos get back to it. But what's the most important thing to get out of these six games? Outside the wins, obviously. Uh, making up ground in the in the, you know, Respective uh, wild card and uh, National League East race, you know, there's a lot of season left. Um, I, it, it does seem like they're going to be out of the the race for the division, but 
you got a playoff spot up for grabs. And the Giants have been struggling. The Marlins have come out and said they might be sellers at the deadline. So it really does seem like it's going to be the Cardinals and uh, Phillies for this last for the last spot. What yeah. the Marlins? So like, and I know I'll, I'll get some I'll get some hate for this because it's an in-division thing, you know. But I think the Marlins are a lot of fun, and I think it's a damn shame for these small market teams that you can tell like the amount of talent that has come out of Miami or Florida, even back in the days to filter into the rest of the league that all become studs, but because they can't afford to pay all of them, they kind of have to win before they're really ready and mature to win. And it's like, you just kind of take a look at that team. And like, you read that quote, they're like everyone, but Alcantara. And it's like, if I'm him, I'm like, fuck me, man. Why couldn't I be like just a little less good? Like that they'd be, (laughs) they'd be willing to ship me out to. And then I hit this, you know, uh, the Cy Young worthy type of arm that he's got. Um, but it's it's so sad like you, you, to take a look at teams like that and you just be like, man, this just sucks. Like, I mean, think about, you, you know, before Jose Fernandez dies, you, you have, you know, Giancarlo Stanton, uh, Christian Yelich, um, Marcelo, Zuna. Marcelo Zuna. Yeah, in, in that outfield. JT, D. Gordon before he sucked, uh, you know, when he was still like a mildly serviceable human being um you know it's like you take a look at all that and you're like damn like that really could have been fun um you know and again it's not that we want to watch it in the division they already fucking own us um but uh it just it does suck like that that part of it has always stung yeah no uh, um no I, i agree with that i thought the real quick the funny part about that sandy news was if if you're willing to part on everybody else, what is keeping one pitcher going to like do? You know what I mean? Like you're going to win one game right. every fifth day and you're going to get absolutely nowhere. You're I think it's the only off. thing is because he's still that young. Yeah, it's true. And it's like, and if you're, if we've seen it. I mean, you see, you look at guys like, like Scherzer pitching into their late thirties and still are, you know, Cy Young S dominant, uh, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, so maybe it's the type of thing where it's like, all right, we're going to at least give ourselves an ACE to start this new rebuild with. Plus all of the different prospects that you may get from from like they they're clearly not super high on Jazzy. So if he brings in three, four pieces and one or two of them work out great. Uh, And that's just unfortunately life of a small, small market team, which sucks. (laughs) It's all right. Father Rain, Father Biscuit over there. Yes. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I, absolutely, I absolutely agree with that, Shane. And um, just to, to close out the show here, I don't know if you guys saw this, some disappointing baseball news, and it'll be interesting to see how he manages it through the rest of his career. I don't know if you guys saw this. It was a little bit right before we started. Yeah. But uh, Mike Shout Trout, out. according to their athletic trainer, he's dealing with a very rare back condition, and he's going to have to deal with the pain the rest of his career. So mm-hmm. I thought that was obviously sad and, oh, and interesting. Note. We'll see. I didn't see what exactly the, the injury was called or anything, but it'll be interesting to see how the Angels and Trout manage that the rest of his career. Obviously, he just signed that big long-term deal, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to watch it's that. It's so L.A., man. It is yeah. it is so Angels in that organization. They go out, they get Pujols. They go out, they get uh, uh, Richardson. Um, you know, the, Rendon. It, it, yeah, yeah, Rendon. Uh, well, Otani's still working out. Um, but like, it just it seems like 
you know, they, they get these guys and, and they, like they're just trying to like not be the bastard child of L.A., you know, compared to the Dodgers and just the luck that they have, man. That's just it's it's so sad. Um, I do wonder with Trout, though, you know, when he he's always been a thicker guy, but I mean, he's like he's real thick now. I do wonder if like if they if they told him to lean out some, um, you know, and, and you know, maybe it knocks off a bit of power from him, but it adds some life to to the you know his contract um and ability to play it at a reasonably still high level um but what from what i was reading it it seems like it's a rotational thing yeah. you know where it's like i guess they give him cortisone shots uh and it's apparently a spot in the back where it's like it's kind of hard to hit the right spot and i'm like wow that's like that just doesn't sound good to have a degenerate back issue that you're going to deal with and it the one thing that it truly inhibits is, is your ability to rotate when you're a fucking hitter. Like it's just, it's sad, man. Um, I, I really hope that they're able to figure something out for him. Medicine obviously continues to make advances constantly. Um, you know, but I do wonder what, you know, leaning out a little bit, taking off some of the extra bulk, um, and then just kind of working on that, you know, that same hot yoga type of stuff that a lot of these guys move to now. Um, you know, to, to kind of increase, uh, the flexibility. Um, but it's a shame, dude, you know, it's, he's, you know, arguably the, the best baseball player I've, I've seen live at this point, um, you know, in, in my lifetime. Um, so it's a shame being, you know, 27, 28 years old. Yeah, what something is like it? that? Something like that. Older than that. I think he's 29. Is he a year older than Bryce? I can't remember. He might be 30, honestly. Because uh, him and Bryce are one year off. I thought he was a year younger, but he might be a year older. You might be yeah. right. That's good. But how about, I mean, injuries are just annoying. I mean, you have obviously Trout now, and then you had Ken Griffey before Trout. Um, it's a shame uh, to see these, like, thing. all these guys. Yeah, um, yeah Trout's 30. Oh, that's crazy. I did not think he was that old. Yeah, I thought he was 28. But, you know. But no, uh, final thing here. I'll I'll end it with the the stat here of the, of the night or the evening after the uh, Phillies take two out of three against the Braves. They're now 29 and 29 against the Braves in the last four seasons. Where it gets interesting is Braves are 76 games over 500 against everybody else, and in that span against all the other NL East teams, they're one 109 and 64 against oh. the rest of the NL East. I thought that was kind of interesting. Phillies have been able to manage 500 ball against the Braves while we obviously can't take care of the Marlins. And if it weren't again, for Hector Neris, we'd have a thousand win percentage. Right? <laughs> That's the only team we could, well, them and the Dodgers, the only team Hector Neris couldn't pitch against. And having a good year now with the Astros. But uh, now, yeah, we'll, we'll leave everybody with that until next week. Thanks again for listening to another episode of So You Think You Can Manage. We'll be back definitely next Wednesday. If anything breaking news happens with the Phillies, we'll get a emergency podcast out there on that trade that happens. But so to stay tuned for a show there possibly this weekend or, of course, Tuesday as the deadline officially passes. But definitely a show next Wednesday. Thanks again for listening to another episode of So You Think You Can Manage. And have a great week, everybody.